Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Krenitsya, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians around the world and their interesting activities. Today is Tuesday, May 21st. Our guests for this episode are two Ukrainians from North Dakota, Bill Palanyuk and Marie Makaryuk. Welcome, Bill and Marie. How are you today? Doing good. I'm doing great, and Marie's always doing good. <laughs> good, good. I'm I'm so glad you agreed to come on Krenitsa today. You know what started this whole interest in North Dakota for me and Ukrainians in North Dakota. My dad grew up in a place called Cass Township, Pennsylvania, which is in the heart of the anthracite region of Pennsylvania, because that's where my grandparents on my dad's side settled in the early 1900s. And when you look at the census of 2000, and you look at where Ukrainians are in the United States, the in terms of density of Ukrainian population, number one is Cass Township, PA, and guess where number two is? I would have to guess North, North Dakota. Dakota. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. specifically Belfield, North Dakota. All right. Yeah, and then also we have Wilton, North Dakota, I think it's number five or number six. From time to time, I teach the history of Ukrainians in the United States. And I always cite these figures and everyone scratches their head and said, why are there so many Ukrainians in North Dakota? And so here we are today. We're going to talk about that. So Marie and Bill, can you both give me some background and give the audience some background on uh, your families and what you did and are doing for a living today, as well as educational background. Okay, would you like to go first, Marie? Go ahead. All right. Uh, I, my parents were, my father was from Dimidova in Ukraine, and my mother was, was born, was the first child born from Ukrainian parents when they came to North Dakota. And they homesteaded by New Horatic, which was Czech country. And uh, uh, they had, people were wonderful, but they were not Ukrainian. And so he sold his homestead and moved near Barm or Snow in, in those areas by the, uh, it's, it's north of Belfield and bought a, a parcel of land because they were Ukrainians. And his name was Repetowski. And uh, so <laughs> that's how it started. And uh, I am a, a former teacher. I, I have a, a uh, BS in, in education, and so I taught for forty, almost forty years. I uh, country schools and uh, uh, consolidated schools, and ten years I taught. I I was in prison, so to speak. I taught <laughs> ten years of uh, juveniles in, in a in a prison. That's really interesting background, Marie. And what subjects did you teach? When I taught, we taught in a in a country school, and. Every grade, uh, maybe you had five, maybe ten, sometimes twenty students. And then, when in the consolidated schools, we had individual classrooms. And three years, I had forty-five students in one room, and it was oil, oil room. And uh, and then, uh, but in uh, in a country school, you have all grades. So you taught all subjects. Yes. And Bill, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Uh, my mother, uh, her career early on mirrored 
Marie's and her and Marie were have been friends for 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 many many years, and so I grew up in a on a ranch here in Western North Dakota. Uh, grew up you know with cattle and horses and things like that. My dad was a rancher, and uh, my mom too was an elementary school teacher, and uh, she was also a, a principal of a school uh, ten miles from our ranch in a little town called Grassy Butte, North Dakota, and. Being the, the son of a, a principal and uh, attending the school, you know, it had its challenges, but I never, ever once did I ever wish that it wasn't that way. Uh, my mother was a very, is a very inquisitive person. She's a wonderful teacher. Uh, some of the things that I remember growing up uh, with my mom as a school teacher, <laughs> she had, uh, there's a couple of young boys that wanted to do a science project on the anatomy of a bobcat, which is uh, a, uh, kind of in the mountain lion family, if you will. And somebody had uh, recently trapped and killed a bobcat, and uh, they boiled it. She brought these two boys out to the ranch, and they boiled this bobcat so they could get the uh, skeleton to use in one of the boys' uh, science project. Uh, that's how far she would. She was always learning. She was so inquisitive and so excited to uh, meet people and and things uh, of that nature. I went on from uh, uh, my high school years. I went to. Uh, I worked in the oil field. I worked for Marie's husband for a number of years in the oil field, and uh, it, eventually I. Went to broadcast school, Brown Institute in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and I spent uh, 35 years in the commercial broadcast industry. Mr. Fun Guy in the morning, that was me, you know, and uh, worked for AM and FM radio stations uh, throughout the Midwest, uh, primarily in the Dakotas. And today I uh, am the media director for the North Dakota Cowboy Hall of Fame. I'm on the board of directors for the Ukrainian Cultural Institute, and I do a lot of freelance work. Uh, producing commercials, and um, I do a, a daily show on a radio station, which is about uh, 250 miles away in a town in northeastern North Dakota. I do it over the internet. I do a nine-hour show there every day, and always looking for the next big thing, Michael. So yeah, kinda... I, I, I hear you, Bill, and you definitely have that radio voice. Well, it's deeper than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, Bill, I want to thank you so much for your mom's book, Ukrainians in North Dakota in Their Voices, which was published in 2011 by right. the Ukrainian Cultural Institute there in Dickinson, North Dakota. And before getting together with you folks today, I was thumbing through it, and it's just fascinating the amount of information she has in here. How did she, how did she get all of it? Yeah, um, sadly, my mother is in the latter stages of Alzheimer's, and it's consumed her. And uh, it was a very heartbreaking day when she told me she wants to write, but the words don't come any longer. And so we're, you know, faced with that. We wanted to have her on the show today with you, but it was just wasn't possible. She's uh, her memory is not her friend any longer. She interviewed some of the original immigrants. We have uh, recorded interviews of, I believe, roughly 25 or 30 of the original immigrants that uh, that uh, came from Ukraine to North Dakota. And uh, I, as a young child, would accompany her on uh, travels across North Dakota, and uh, she would gather these interviews. And I learned my interviewing skills from my mother. Uh, she was very inquisitive, and she taught me a little trick, and I think you'll appreciate this, Michael. She said, make sure to be a good interviewer, you have to be a good listener. And any time that you're interviewing somebody, 
and they ask you questions based on content that they just gave you, then that subliminally puts that person at ease by telling them offhandedly that you're actually interested in what they're saying. And so they automatically become at ease. You know, I'm sure you've had interviews with uh, individuals who are real nervous about going on with you and things like that. My mom had a way of putting people at ease and she was such a good interviewer because of her uh, inquisitive nature. What I find fascinating here is that your community there in North Dakota is almost 125 years old. From reading the book, I understand that Ukrainians began coming to North Dakota around 1896-1897. And yet, there still seems to be an intensity about maintaining that Ukrainian culture. And for example, I know that you have a, an annual festival in July every year. You have, you have a, a Ukrainian dance group. And Marie, you and I had chatted a little bit about how Ukrainian dance had started in North Dakota many years ago with Vasil Avramenko, who was the one that brought Ukrainian dance to America. But it's just amazing, whereas other places in the United States that had Ukrainians, in a lot of cases, uh, they assimilated and the communities kind of faded away, but yours seems to be growing. So Marie, why do you think that is? They call it Baba Power. So it's Baba Power. You're going to Baba's and you're going to stay there and go to dance school. And that, that was Baba treats you with wonderful things, with wonderful food, and praises you, and and you have to do this for Baba. And, and, and so so that that's one of the things. And then, of course, the children go home and meet. We don't have to be Ukrainian to, to dance. We have all nationalities. And I've had my children, grandchildren, and another generation coming up will hopefully have a little longer loss so they can come to Baba's. And uh, uh, there's something about... I, I've gone to Basque festivals, if you're familiar with the Basques. I am, yes. And, and so they have dances. I've, I've seen German dancing. I've seen Polish dancing. But there's nothing as invigorating and, and happy as Ukrainian. We, we went to Canada, and the place where they have the loudest group of people dancing and, 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 and enjoying themselves are the Ukrainians. And so I'm so proud to be Ukrainian. At one time, it wasn't so, it wasn't so nice. They, we, we were spoken negative, especially when you had people coming in from other countries and, and the Irish didn't like us and just went in. But now we are one, one community. That's great. Marie, can you tell our audience a little bit about how the Ukrainians got to North Dakota? Because I understand that in terms of some of the families around Belfield, they are basically from Eastern Galicia, what was Eastern Galicia, in villages near the Zbruch River. And then there yeah. were others, I guess, in more northerly North Dakota that actually came from central Ukraine. So can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, one the uh, ones in the north, they, they uh, uh, were from a di different area of Ukraine, and, and they were different religion. And that, you know, religion brings, puts you together or, or divides you, whichever it is. And... Uh, uh, when the people came there, they did it for religious purposes, and uh, so their their places were like Butte, uh, Max, and all that, and they were all the, the they were not and they were not Catholic, you know. They, they, I you know, believe they it, were either Baptist or Evangelicals, correct? Yes, 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 they were, yes, and uh, Seventh Day Adventists and other or another, you know. And, and when we came, they settled here. They uh, 
basically they were related in some way. You know, when you're going away from from a never maybe never see you again, they uh, they cling to each other. I know my mother was was the first Ukrainian child born here this way, so she wasn't she never learned to read and write, but but uh, her, her her other relatives did. I, I think that uh, nationalities have. I think you have seen this too. That if if the Ukrainians come, they stick together. They do their music. They do their church. One of the points I wanted to make here was a great incentive for Ukrainians to go to North Dakota back then was something called the Homestead Act. Yes. And and what exactly was the Homestead Act, Bill? Maybe Free you can address land. that. Free land. You get 160 acres of land if you had to come and you had to settle it. And when they came. Um, they always built the church first, I yes, believe, yes. you know, and they, they would uh, uh, work this land. They would take their, their wagons and uh, dig a hole and tip the wagon upside down on top of that hole. That's where they lived. And uh, before they, they would build a house, they built the church first, and the church became a community gathering place for these uh, these immigrants when they came to North Dakota. So, you know, the, the free land was enticing enough where they would spend – you know, the, the cold winters, they would be living in a hole in the ground, um, literally a hole in the ground. And they must have really had to want this land very, very bad, you know, to, to go through the struggles that they went through to, uh, to establish it before they had their house built. You know, they farmed with horses and, and things like that. So they, they really had to struggle, but they wanted it bad enough where it, that there was... That was plan A, and there was no plan B. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that those original 160-acre homesteads have grown considerably since then. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> the ranch I grew up on was uh, 4,800 acres. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not really fair to, you know, judge it by today's standards. Uh, you know, some of our farms today, guys are actually seeding three, four thousand acres of land, you know, and back then it was uh, 160 acres and that was it. And what is being grown today? Are are the descendants of the Ukrainians who came growing wheat and other kinds of crops like that? Primarily wheat. Um, we're also, uh, you know, corn and soybean. not so much here in the western part of the state. Soybeans are primarily in the eastern part of North Dakota, but uh, uh, canola is another one. We have uh, very creative farmers who are always looking, like me, for the next big thing. And uh, there's a lot of talk, Michael, of uh, industrial hemp being grown here in uh, North Dakota with the new farm bill. And, you know, they've uh, deregulated hemp considerably. And uh, there's uh, that's the next big crop that I see. Uh, happening, you know, um, my grandmother on my mother's side is in the North Dakota Ukrainian Hall of Fame, and her biography on uh, display at the Ukrainian Cultural Institute talks about uh, when they immigrated here that they planted pumpkins, seeds, and hemp. And so uh, I've always had a very keen interest in in hemp and what it can do and things. And now I think we're going to find out. It's going to be the next big crop. So it's coming full circle. Yeah, exactly. And I'm pretty tickled about that. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the Ukrainian Institute? We're beginning to run out of time, but I'd like to hear how and why that was started and some of its activities. I've always wanted a Ukrainian gathering place. And uh, when the oil boom came in North Dakota, people got money for various things. And then oil boom busted. 
And so those of us that invested in, in prior businesses, we could not use that money anymore, but we could invest it in, in something. So of course the Ukrainians are going to go invest in something that's Ukrainian. So we began to search for a building and, uh, and after several buildings, and we went into a Peraje making business for more finances, and and, th- and this is the result. It's it's too small for us, but we now the money isn't as readily available. So so we have to we do well in what we have. The founders of the Ukrainian Cultural Institute are primarily educators, like Marie and like my mother. And there's another lady, Julia Hernanko, who uh, placed a lot of emphasis in education. Julia was a recipient of the oil boom, and uh, her and her husband had many, many um, um, oil wells. And, and she put a lot of people through through uh, through college and things. She would finance. She never hesitated to listen to somebody's story on on how they wanted to become educated and uh, so she supported that quite a bit and that carried through to the uh, Ukrainian Cultural Institute she looked at that as a educational tool to educate anybody who wanted to learn about Ukrainians and uh, placed a lot of emphasis on that and there was a group of teachers school teachers that that drove this thing in the early days and made it uh, possible for it to become what it has become today. Uh, you mentioned we're running out of time. If people want to find out more, uci.today.org is our website. And uh, we've got a new board of directors that are really taking uh, the Ukrainian Cultural Institute to new levels. We really want to enhance the North Dakota Ukrainian Hall of Fame. We want to make some changes there and uh, raise the bar, so to speak. And we're here to stay and uh, and we're willing to show what we have uh, to anybody that's uh, got an interest in it. And one final question, Bill. When are the Ukrainian Cultural Days? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. There's actually two festivals this year. There's been a, another uh, Ukrainian entity that has uh, made themselves prevalent. They're uh, having their festival um, the third weekend of July, and we're having ours the, the second weekend of July. There's a Pioneer Cross north of uh, Belfield that uh, we're going to do a rededication. It was dedicated uh, you know, 45 years ago. We're going to do a rededication to that. We've got all kinds of activities planned. We will have um, all of the above on our website very, very soon, ucitoday.org. I greatly appreciate Marie, you, and Bill coming on the show today. Oh, thank you for having us, Michael. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. This is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Krenitsya, The Well, a monthly podcast series about interesting Ukrainians around the world and their activities. And until next time, that's all for now.